This is Faye Hartman, and you're listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us, a podcast series brought to you by American Rivers. In the first episode of this series, we learned about the Hispanic Access Foundation, Latino Conservation Week, the work of the Hispanic Access Foundation's Ocean Advisory Council, who are studying and advocating for Latinx communities and their role in river and ocean conservation and future climate impacts. We heard personal stories from Jessica Godinez, David Riera, and Ashley, or Shlee Suarez, about their individual connections to water. And we asked the question, what's at stake if we don't fight for the rivers, oceans, lakes, and waterways that we depend on. In this episode, we'll dive deeper into stories from David and Schlee, and we'll also hear from other members of the Oceans Advisory Council, Araceli Morales-Santos, Virginia Ansaldi, and Andriana Dowell share their stories and personal connections to water. While unique, these stories weave through similar themes and encourage us to further examine the way water links us to place, to home, and to family. Most of all, these inspiring stories remind us of how those critical connections to water compel us to fight for it. Okay, let's get to the stories. To start, we'll hear about the ways rivers and oceans awed, inspired, and brought people together. First, we'll hear from Schlee, who we heard from in episode one. I'm a pescatarian. So I really love eating salmon. You know, I was I was reading an article, I'm pretty sure like on that Geo or NPR one day, and I was just like reading about how certain salmon are classified as endangered species. And I was like, what? You know, I'm not going to have this delicious food source available to me at some point just because of like how, you know, population and overfishing and like regulations in regards. So I was like, oh, I need to I need to like understand where my food is coming from. I need to be a part of it. So I saved up. I quit all my jobs and I moved to the Pacific Northwest. You know, oddly enough, I was using Tinder as a platform to find jobs because it's such a, like a family generational male dominated industry. And like, here I am just a city chick in a very rural part of town trying to find a, a fishing job with zero experience. And one company ended up hiring me. So I worked uh, as a distributor for a wild foods company, and we worked with different tribes. Uh, the Samuel specifically got was in the Olympic Peninsula, where the you know where the Elwha River comes out of. I did that for about a year, and at that time, I had applied for HAPS fellowship and as well to work as a ranger for Washington State Parks. The mix of my love for salmon fishing and my background in film came in super clutch <laughs> and has led me to this whirlwind of a career that I absolutely adore. For Shalee, salmon were an obsession that led her to the greater issues of ocean and river health. The species of the ocean were also an important connection point for David. His interactions with a man of war while he was still in high school have informed his relationships with water, one of humility and respect ever since. It's a wild story. For some background, when David was a junior in high school, David and some friends took a bus to the beach. They walked to Ocean Drive, found some other friends, and started playing in the shallow waves. But David was seduced by the ocean. 
right? So growing up, I would always see my godfather throw on a pair of, like, swimming pool goggles and one of those swimming caps um, and go all the way to the reef. But I never, I never could imagine what the reef looked like. I've seen pictures. Um, you know, computer, computer access still wasn't available. I couldn't just Google maps or anything to know how, how fast, how close it was. So it was all on faith. It was really based all on faith to where a reef actually be. But I always would see my godfather swim all the way out, you know, hit a reef or something and, you know, come back and, and have like these little cool critters that he would just put, put in his pocket and show me and then we'd throw them back in the, in the ocean. Um, this day, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. So I, I went there with the goggles and I started looking. And so one of my friends was behind me. And when I started looking under the water, I started seeing like, you know, blue, blue tendrils. I started seeing all kinds of, of, of crazy stuff in the water. I'm like, this doesn't look cool. So then I, just, I did like a U-turn and I started paddling harder back to the shore. Um, I guess my friend didn't see me. So I popped my head. I looked back and I see him and I just yelled. Like I yelled and then he, I guess he's not here. So I had to like, I hit a sandbar and then I just got up and I just ran and like tried to go grab him. So I, I pushed him over me somehow and he didn't catch it all, but he knew that I was in a fury trying to get back to shore. And I remember with growing up my godfather, I used to see jellyfish beat themselves. I was like, oh, it's a jellyfish in my head. You know, I didn't know as much as I know now about jellyfish. Um, but I knew it was a jellyfish. So I was like, okay, tentacles, this time, next thing, you know, SpongeBob didn't exist. So I was like, cool, jellyfish, got to get out of the water. So this wasn't a jellyfish. And to my, to my knowledge uh, and to my, dis- to, to my dismay and pain, um, it was a Portuguese man of war. I had an entire set of tentacles, of, of, of ma- Portuguese man of war tentacles wrapped around my left arm. Um, that I did not feel the nematocysts, which are the stinging cells, I did not feel them penetrate my, my skin until I was already probably, you know, in ankle deep water and dragging the, the Portuguese man of war behind me tied to my arm when all my friends on the shore that wanted to see what was going on um, were like staring at me and I literally fell to my knees and they, they all pick me up and take me to the lifeguard. He has like a pail of vinegar water. He starts like, you know, taking off the nematocyst, you know, brushing it, spraying it out. That, that moment right there was a moment where I was like, hmm, the ocean is, is a lot more than what I bargained for. The whole trip on the bus, the whole night, uh, I kept hearing like the waves crashing. Um, I kept hearing the waves crashing probably for like three days after that day. You know, a kid being a kid, um, even even a high school kid, I had it in my mind that, you know, now I had an unbreakable connection, you know, a story that people might take for granted, but I don't because at that point um, I knew that that there needed to be a good understanding between me and the ocean, between me and any tributary, any lake um, there. So, you know, it might seem kind of, you know, kind of nuanced, but, you know, anytime I, I go into a body of water, I say like a, like a small, a small mantra, um, you know, of respect.
water often links us to a sense of place and to family. For Araceli and Andriana, water brought family together and so much joy. Let's hear from Andriana first. So my name is Andriana Dowell. I'm a marine archaeologist, uh, but I'm actually currently working as the communications director at a local private school here in Pennsylvania. But I'm also contracted by the National Park Service currently uh, for content creation. And we're in the process of creating a web series, which will kind of bring to light some of the archaeology at our national parks that may have otherwise been kind of unknown. Um, so it's really exciting. Um, and with my involvement with Hispanic Access Foundation, uh, so in 2017, I was chosen as a Latino Heritage Internship Program and National Park Service intern for Biscayne National Park. It was really exciting. It was while I was doing my uh, grad degree in the marine archaeology. Um, so it was all surrounded around that. Um, and these are partner organizations with Hispanic Access Foundation. So it kind of loops me in with them. And since I'm technically an alumnus of this program, um, they had asked me if I wanted to join their Oceans Advisory Council as a member this year. And uh, we're just really excited about the work that we've been doing. Um, and I've been really honored to become a part of it. So I grew up in San Diego, California. So pretty much the sunniest, most vacation-y spot other than maybe places in Florida that you could possibly live in. Um, I know a lot of people who, you know, where I'm living now in Pennsylvania said they've been to San Diego as a vacation. And it really felt that way growing up, which I am so incredibly lucky to have had that experience. And, you know, every day is 75 degrees and sunny. Um, and summers were really a highlight for everybody. I mean, as they probably are across the board, but really in San Diego, we play up the ocean. Everybody's going to the ocean. And I grew up, um, my father was a lifeguard and a swimmer. I grew up swimming. I learned in the ocean. Um, I then also became a lifeguard myself. So oceans have always played a really large role. But there are also lots of rivers and lakes in California, and I grew up going to those as well. Um, so for me, any type of body of water was just this immense source of joy and pleasure, and it meant vacation. It meant time off. It meant family outings. Um, it was just, it brought me so much joy, and I saw how much joy it brought other people. And to this day, it still is... Uh, such a it just provides so much peace and tranquility in my life being near any sort of body of water so I definitely know that it was rooted in my experience with water when I was younger. Like Adriana, Araceli Morales Santos is a member of the Oceans Advisory Council. I am involved with the Advisory Council and the way I came to be a part of that was through an internship program with the Hispanic Access Foundation where I was stationed at the Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge um, in Michigan. And that sort of was the place where my relationship with um, my other colleagues came to be where we were part of this organization that really cares deeply about the Latino community, but also in providing the resources and the opportunities for um, Latinos to began their careers or to get an interest in outdoors and outdoor education and to hopefully have that be an inspiration for them to continue their environmental and conservation careers. Before, I didn't know many Latinos that also had that passion. 
And thanks to Hispanic Access Foundation, I realized that there were others like me and uh, that I wasn't alone. I often felt alone in the environmental field uh, as a Latina, but uh, thanks to Hispanic Access Foundation, I, I found a different story. Uh, and so uh, with that, I um, just graduated actually recently from the University of Michigan School for Environment and Sustainability. For RSLA, water, whether it's rivers, oceans, or lakes, have always been a part of her life. I was actually born um, in Mexico, so I have some memories um, growing up in my uh, little town in Mexico. But really, where my uh, where I consider like the places where I grew up are uh, places in California, where we spent a couple of years there. Growing up in California, I remember going to lakes and going to rivers, uh, especially in the summer, uh, to get away from the summer heat. This was the place where my family and I got an opportunity to really uh, just, you know, come together with my own uncles and aunts and cousins and just have fun. Then uh, we moved to North Carolina. A lot of my connections with water started, specifically here in North Carolina, started when my family would take us to um, the state parks. I mean, we saw some of the rivers there and also uh, my dad really loves the ocean so he would often convince all of us to take a day trip to the Carolina beach. My other connection to water uh, growing up would be the fact that we are very close to Haw River. Um, it's a tributary that is part of the Haw River watershed in the Piedmont region. And I, we always passed it when we drove to the other uh, part of town, and um, it was just, for me, it was, it was always a river that was there, and I knew that um, it provided certain resources to our communities, but I never knew how important it was until after I went to college. For Virginia, her story of water was shaped both by her time spent in and around it, but also by her time longing for it. My name is Virginia Ansaldi. I am actually born, I was born in Argentina, but moved to Miami when I was about two uh, with my parents. And I, I lived here in Miami until I was 12 and then moved back to Argentina. So I actually did middle school and high school in Argentina. And then once I graduated a little bit after that, I moved back to Miami. Uh, so that's, um, gave me my 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 being from Argentina and 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 of Hispanic heritage is how I landed an internship with the Hispanic Access Foundation um, in 2015, and I worked for a summer at Biscayne National Park here um, in 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 Miami. Growing up in Miami, we were at the time. Um, you know, four, four siblings. Uh, my mom ran her own uh, school shuttle business. She's mainly with us um, all of the time. And really, like, the beach was always the one place that she would take us because we were so rowdy most of the time. And I have really fond memories of uh, growing up at the beach here in Miami with a bunch of kids from the neighborhood. And, um, and then when my parents told me that we were moving to Argentina, 
was in part very devastated because of, you know, I'm like in the sixth grade, I'm essentially leaving all my friends and I like can't believe my parents are doing this to me, right? <laughs> so on top of that, though, I knew that we were going to be far. We were you know, six hours from the closest, closest beach. I actually don't ever... I don't think we ever went to the beach as a family once we were living in Argentina. I um, was lucky to do some camping trips with my school at the time, and we were able to go to uh, the coast. And as I got into high school, I would take the train out with um, some friends and go and stay at, like, a surf camp out there on the beach as well. Um, But it was a, you know, six-and-a-half-hour ride out there. So it wasn't something that we got to do very often. And definitely when I was considering moving back to Miami, that was a big highlight for me. And I know that I always had this interest in in studying marine biology or or studying, you know, um, the marine uh, environment and being and relating back to it. So I was happy to to move back and, and really get to 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 be close to the ocean again. And Um, Now, (laughs) I don't think I'd ever live landlocked again. For all of the Oceans Advisory Council members, these relationships with water were a core part of who they were. But for each of them, there came a pivotal moment when they realized that the waterways that they loved needed them too. Here are a few of those pivotal moments. Let's start with Virginia. I remember this moment particularly where I'm in I'm in high school. I had taken the train out to stay at this surf camp that I mentioned before where we would um, go with some friends and be able to go go to the beach. And, and I remember sitting up on this um, cliff as, because a lot of the coastline in, in, in Argentina is very uh, steep continental shelf. So like cliffs that look over at the beach, you can kind of think of something like um, – California in that sense. And I'm sitting up on this cliff and these um, fishermen are fishing there and they pull out this um, the shark. They catch a shark. And I just remember like kind of like the agony of the of the shark as they're like pulling it pulling it up um, you know, across the beach and like up onto this cliff where they're where they're fishing and kind of feeling like for the first time like that shared kind of agony that I can really remember with like a with like a living with a living thing and um and that be it you know an animal that is so charismatic and and really um attractive to to so many people including myself um I was just like interested really like in why do that um you know people do obviously eat sharks I had never really seen that um, so that was that was like a just a memory that was um, is vivid for for me that I think really had the um, effect of starting to really consider um, the animals that live in the ocean um, and what their you know the kind of situations that they are going through. For Araceli, that moment came in a few different ways. My relationship with really getting to know the systems of um, 
water, like lakes, rivers, streams, ponds, began in high school where I was part of this program uh, that we took, where we took classes like botany and herpetology. And I was really lucky to be a part of the herpetology class because uh, that's really where my love for animals began, uh, I would say. And thanks to the herpetology teacher, she would uh, take us to ephemeral ponds where we looked for frogs and salamanders um, as part of the class, the summer class project. And, and that's when I realized that even small bodies of water, like a pond, um, had so much life and created so much habitat for um, a diversity of wildlife. And so I would say that that's kind of where I began to understand how important uh, these systems of water were to the well-being of the communities, but also to the well-being of wildlife. Uh, and then Later on, uh, my relationship to the um, ocean specifically began when I went to an internship um, that was placed in the Oregon coast. Uh, and this is where I was looking, uh, basically fell in love with monitoring shorebirds thanks to the internship. And, and I began to connect the rivers to the oceans. Uh, and realize that we depend, we as uh, people and humans depended so much on the ocean without even realizing how the rivers were connecting to it. Um, or at least in my case, I didn't really put those two together until I went to Oregon and, and saw the, the beautiful um, upstream uh, areas that were just a lot of a diverse community of invertebrates and how this contributed to the uh, fish population upstream and how then the salmon will go um, downstream to after they had um, they had hatched and and so to me this is where I began to see that relationship between rivers and, and oceans and and then I began to uh, wonder more about what other sorts of interconnected systems I still hadn't, uh, you know, learned about. There was one moment in particular where I felt the need to do more to protect the oceans and to protect the aquatic systems. And uh, this was when I went to uh, Costa Rica this past summer as part of my master's project. We were working with a couple of organizations and nonprofits organizations to try to tackle the issue of a sea turtle uh, egg poaching. We left early in the morning and uh, in order to get to the shore of that beach, uh, we had to walk about a mile inland. And as we were walking, I noticed uh, just a lot of plastic. And I noticed that this just continued on as we walked, like for that whole entire week mile that we walked in then it was just more and more trash more and more plastic and the shore the the beach, the beach area the nesting ground for these turtles that was covered not only in um woody debris like large logs and large um uh, tree uh tree trunks and things like that but also with a lot of plastic these turtles sea turtles were you know navigating hundreds and hundreds of miles to shore uh, to the place where they hatch to uh, be 
able to nest themselves. And they had to get across, um, you know, this large ocean only to come to the shore and to see that the nesting ground was covered in plastic. And to me, that was a, that really made an impact in how I saw, you know, how as humans we were not only impacting our own health but also impacting the health of um, a lot of the ocean uh, life, a lot of the marine species that we still haven't even uh, come to fully understand. And for Andriana, that pivotal moment that inspired or furthered her dedication to working to conserve water was paired with another realization about where the power to act can come from and the importance of your voice. While I was in school for being um, an underwater archaeologist, I was back home in San Diego for a little bit and I was speaking to um, a contact that I had made at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography in La Jolla, San Diego. Um, and we were just, you know, we were on a beach hike. It was a gorgeous day, you know, sunny. Um, it was everything that you could ever want in a day in San Diego. And we were hiking down to the beach. Uh, we were discussing the growing po- problem of microplastics and how they're being found in everything from, you know, your beer to just, you know, you take any sample of the ocean and you're going to find microplastics. Um, and also, you know, the, the climate change crisis and how that's going to affect cultural sites because he was also working in marine archaeology. But anyways, we had seen these two young men right in front of us just chuck some of their chip bags, you know, their plastic chip bags off to the side of the, the trail. And without hesitating, my friend went up to them and approached them and reproached them for what they had just done. And it was in that moment that I realized that one one person can make a simple change, but have this great impact. Um, you know, in the future, those boys will hopefully not do that again because they'll understand that that's actually a big issue. And just watching him do that and watching his passion for what he studies and what he's speaking about uh, and, and putting that into action so literally um, was was really eye-opening for me, and it just made me realize how important and impactful my own voice could be. Members of the Oceans Advisory Council have taken these links of their own and recognized the critical role they play in connecting other people with water and helping them find their voice and passion to fight for the things they care about. Here's Virginia. One of the things that I love really sharing with, you know, students that I get to work with both on the water and in different outdoor programming that we do is like you just don't really realize you know like for a lot of our for a lot of our kids they're especially like when once they get into high school they're they're kind of like you know thinking that like their only opportunities for jobs are like you can be a doctor you can be a lawyer you can be a business person you know it's very limited what they um the opportunities that they that they think are really accessible to them. Um, so one of the things that I really like about being involved in outdoor um, outdoor outreach and and programming is is really for them to have that kind of aha moment where not only are they discovering the outdoors for themselves, but also interacting with 
uh, adults that have these jobs that um, are awesome, <laughs> you know, both that of scientists, of park rangers, of journalists, of um, all kinds of fields, really, for them to kind of broaden their 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 ideas of what's also then possible for them in their careers. For so many people, establishing that first and vital relationship to rivers, oceans, and water isn't easy. Systemic racism and access to these places, the divide between urban and rural living and the connection to water, and people's socioeconomic status all contribute to their opportunities to connect with water. A relationship with water, with the outdoors, isn't just about the miles paddled or the number of fish caught, but it's about how it makes us who we are and how it tethers us to the people and the places that we love. Establishing this critical connection is and has become the work of the Oceans Advisory Council, both in their roles with the Hispanic Access Foundation and in their individual lives. Let's hear again from Andriana. For me, kind of being a representation uh, with my fellow uh, Hispanic Access Foundation members of the Latino culture and communities, you know, we need to start speaking up um, as Latinos. We know from our research at Hispanic Access Foundation that Latinos, um, the majority of them, want to see conservation efforts in uh, ocean and land. Um, and we just need to continue to be there for each other, to listen, and we need to continue educating. I think that is the biggest thing. I've always backed education as one of the best ways to proliferate information and to truly understand why this stuff is so important, why ocean conservation is so important. Um, you know, especially when minority populations, it's, they're disproportionately affected by this, these kinds of problems. Um, you know, so we need to stand up for ourselves because who else is going to do it for us? You know, there's a reason that water is called the essence of life. It is necessary for all life forms. And my personal belief is, is that it's an unalienable right for us as humans to have access to safe drinking water and to clean oceans, riverways, watersheds. Um, and if we don't take action, we will witness massive marine life extinction, which, you know, we're already seeing with some of the coral reefs, coral reefs that are dying off, which is so sad, um, horrifying. Um, and we will also experience our communities impacted both culturally and economically. Um, and we're going to be impacted by these struggling ecosystems and our polluted waterways. So it's going to really touch every part of our lives if we don't start doing something now. Um, and that's really what it boils down to. We have to take action now. And again, as I said before, we need to understand that our one voice can be enough. We need to use it and we need to continue getting educated. Thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers and the water that connects us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and comment. Thank you to our interviewees, David, Schley, Araceli, Andriana, and Virginia. 
If you want to learn more about the Hispanic Access Foundation and the work of the Oceans Advisory Council, visit www.hispanicaccess.org. And if you haven't yet listened to episode one, there are some really inspiring stories about Latino Conservation Week and even more about the awesome individuals we heard from today. Have a listen. Today's episode was written and produced by Paige Bono and Faye Hartman. If you want to learn more about American Rivers, you can find us on the web at www.americanrivers.org.